0: Welcome to Courage and Spice. This is the podcast for humans with self-doubt. I'll share evidence-based resources and teach you proven coaching tools to help you transcend your self-doubt. I'm Sass Petherick, a master coach and founder of the Self-Belief Coaching Academy. I'm so glad you're here. Let's do this. Hello, lovely humans. I'm so glad you're here. So, This is going to be the first episode in a small series. I wanted to share with you a new concept that I've been playing with for most of the last year. And I've now road tested this new tool with some clients and with the coaches in the Self Belief Coaching Academy and it's sort of feeling ready to share with you. So this is for anyone who is as fascinated and perhaps sometimes as horrified as I am at what happens to our thinking minds when self-doubt gets involved. So I've developed this new coaching tool. It's called the Four Faces of the Protector. And the Protector is just how I characterize self-doubt because the whole purpose of self-doubt is to protect us from some perceived psychological risk. So the Four Faces of the Protector is this model that helps us to observe ourselves. In particular, when we experience self-doubt, like what kind of approach our self-doubt uses to try and protect us. This helps us to understand that and to intervene in ways that are going to have the best chance of a positive outcome for us. So in this episode I'm going to talk about where this coaching tool came from and we're also going to go through each of the four faces of the protector and there is one sheet downloadable in the show notes on the website saspederic.com. May be helpful for you if you like to refer to something written down. And in the next episode we're going to talk about how you can use this approach to start interrupting and gently challenging the voice of your self-doubt. So, how did the Four Faces of the Protector come about? Well, I imagine that most of you know about the inner critic, right? This idea of this mean, judgmental, critical voice inside of you that can sometimes feel like a monologue that's just on the go all the time. I was first introduced to this idea way back in 2013 I think when I first trained with Dr. Martha Beck and she explained to everyone in the Martha Beck coach training program that the inner critic is like a manifestation of our reptilian brain, the sort of oldest parts of our thinking lines from an evolutionary standpoint. And this is the part that's all about keeping us safe. So it's very tied into this part of the brain called the amygdala which gets kind of activated when we're in a place of fear or stress. So according to this idea the reptilian brain is the part of us that causes a lot of our suffering, right? Because most of us, most adults have about 60,000 thoughts a day. And if the reptilian or lizard brain, it's sometimes known as, if that's getting involved in a lot of these thoughts, the chances are that your day is going to be a bit pants, right? It makes sense because it's coming from this place of fear all the time. Now apparently this is universal and a lot of my classmates talked about how much they completely resonated with this idea and oh my god it's awful and yeah the inner critic is just terrible. And so we learned as part of this training how to infantilize this part of us to never take it seriously no matter what it says, which at the time made a lot of sense. And as I began working with clients, it seemed to help a lot of people that I worked with. So yeah, the inner critic is a kind of lizard brain. But I have to admit that this always, always bothered me because I don't really have an inner critic. I've never really experienced that constant judgment and chastising or that sense that there was this part of me that was always criticising me. But I went along with it because I was a student and I was hungry for this information and it did seem to help so many clients. And as my kind of coaching experience developed, I read a lot more about things to do with self-doubt. When I went back to do a graduate degree, I read a lot of research about this aspect of the psyche. Like during the couple of years that I spent doing my master's dissertation in self-doubt and many researchers and practitioners talk about the inner critic and how it can be a part of the old reptilian brain but also it's usually sort of psychologically seen as a representation of all the ways that we've been criticized by other people particularly our parents and other influential adults or other people in our lives, but also the wider culture and the kind of unspoken rules that we absorb for how to fit into the various sort of groups and communities that we're involved with, groups of friends, extended families, organizations. So we have this model of the lizard brain as these irrational fears, and we have this idea that it's the internalized voice of people that have criticized us. This all makes sense to me, but I'm still not satisfied because I just can't see that this is true for everybody. I'm always a bit skeptical of anything that we're told is universal. And I've really learned over the years to trust myself around this, to question and critique anything that doesn't quite land with me and to follow these hunches. So I've worked with hundreds of people (laughs) over the last almost 10 years, but a couple of clients I worked with last year really touched me. Both were senior executives, one a woman who was close to retirement, who wasn't sure who she would be without her work, and another male client who was in his mid-30s and he'd been promoted to a big job and wanted some coaching support around the self-doubt he was experiencing in this new role. Now both of these clients completely different backgrounds and ethnicities and value systems and ages, they had both shared a lot of similar aspects of self-doubt. They were holding themselves back from things they wanted because of the risks that these things seem to present. And that self-doubt for me, we hold ourselves back from the things we want because of the risk. But neither of them had an inner critic. It just wasn't a thing for them and I was quite excited about this. So I have a real sense of gratitude to both of these clients for working with me because they unwittingly helped me to really develop this model and to look at what their experience was telling me. Um, It kind of opened a door to look at a ton of other client notes and to really start to, to bring this model to life. So the four faces of the protector. What is it? Well, I found that Yes, there is an inner critic, definitely. And for some of you, this will be something you really recognize as the voice of your self-doubt. And it may well say things that you recognize as belonging to messages that you've received from other people in your life. So there is a critic, for sure. But I found that there are also three other faces or approaches that our protective self-doubt can take in order to hold us back. And they are the martyr, the scapegoat, and the bystander. I've just made these names up because it seems to characterize the approaches that these protective self-doubt styles kind of take. And I guess it's really helpful at this point just to remember that the entire purpose of self-doubt is to find a squillion different ways to say, don't do that, you might hurt yourself, right? It's doing this to protect you from repeating something that hurt you in the past so it's like this built-in safety valve anytime you are contemplating taking some step forward in your life no matter how small or seemingly manageable this is and it may just be something as innocuous as sending an email to a colleague if there is any sense of vulnerability about this your self-doubt is going to pop up and create some drama for you. So if we take this example of sending the email, it may be that you have a little bit of vulnerability about some potential conflicts that could be caused if you send this email and you have some sensitivity to conflict. So that feels a bit psychologically risky to you. This will activate your self-doubt. Right? It's like an alarm going off and this drama takes different forms. It's usually something like body sensations, difficult emotions, you might have memories of the past when something has happened in the past to hurt you. You may project some worst case scenario into the future of what might happen. You may hear an inner voice. Most of us have a a combination. This drama is meant to feel uncomfortable. That's the point of it. It's to stop us from taking action. That's why it feels so crappy, right? It's like something is wrong, I have to stop. So for some of us that drama is the critic and I'm just going to take you through what that kind of looks like and what that face of the protector, the critic's face of the protector can look like and feel like to you and then we'll go through the other three as well. So the critic has this protective aim to be perfect. It's sort of got this idea that if you're perfect you'll, you'll create safety for yourself. So it's going to be critical, judgmental, and a bit of a bully, internally. And the critic believes, I'm not good enough, and nothing I do is good enough. So those beliefs are going to drive some behaviours, like overworking, or constantly proving your own worthiness. And it has a fear of losing control, being criticised by others, or feeling too much right? So that's the kind of characterization of the critic. Now, the martyr has a protective aim to be needed. It's all about if you're needed, you're going to be safe. So this is kind of connected to our sense of belonging. And the way the martyr works is it tends to dismiss our needs, rescue other people and never say no. The martyr's core belief is I don't matter as much as other people. And its core behaviors are about overgiving. There's often a sense of self-sacrifice, a lack of boundaries. And the real fears of the martyr are of being abandoned, being disliked, or creating conflict. So some of you might recognize, oh, actually, that's how my self-doubt talks to me. It's all about making sure that you're putting all your energy into other people. Moving to the next face of the protector, the next protector is the scapegoat and the protective aim of the scapegoat is to not try, right? So the sort of traits of the scapegoat are a feeling of helplessness. Sometimes you can feel a bit ashamed. There's often a lot of chaos and the core belief of the scapegoat is it's so much harder for me. So this drives a lot of behaviours around being overwhelmed, dependent, unable to solve problems and the real fear of the scapegoat is I'm going to be held responsible. People expect me or I expect me to take consistent action and to keep promises to myself or to other people. So that's the scapegoat, it's all about that overwhelm. And the bystander is the fourth face of the protector. And the protective aim of the bystander, the way it tries to keep you safe, is waiting. The kind of core belief of the bystander is I don't have enough information. So it tends to be quite confused or to be future focused on a fantasy future often when you do have all the information or all the conditions are perfect and so you can then take a step forward. But this core belief of I don't have enough information, it drives behaviors like overthinking and searching for answers, getting stuck in research, standing on the sidelines. And it's very fearful of making the wrong choice, of failure, of looking foolish. So we start to see that there are these core tactics that each of these types of protectors use. Right, for the critic it's about overworking. For the martyr, it's overgiving. For the scapegoat, feeling overwhelmed. And the bystander is overthinking. So each of them use these core tactics to hold us back. And it can sound really, really compelling. So the critic, the martyr, the scapegoat and the bystander, that characterizes our inner drama, like the way, the tactics, the approaches that our protector uses to hold us back. Now, what's important to remember is that these are not descriptions of our personalities, right? It's all about the tactics that our self-doubt has found are the most effective for stopping us from risking those hurts being repeated. Just as you hear me explain the four faces of the protector, you might find that you tend towards a particular role in a certain context like for example, the bystander shows up when you're running your business so you're all about waiting because that keeps you safe from the risk of getting it wrong right So that overthinking is telling you you don't have enough information yet right you've got to keep waiting because if you take that step forward, you risk getting it wrong. Now for me, the scapegoat is really, really familiar. So I go there when I feel vulnerable, particularly in my work. It's too hard for me, everything is overwhelming, I don't know how to solve this problem. It's kind of embarrassing to even admit that, like I feel quite uncomfortable sharing that, but it's true and that's where I go. And when I'm feeling really good and solid and full of self-belief and really on it, The last thing I would think is, everything is too hard and I can't do anything here. I can't be consistent or keep promises to myself or take responsibility. So it can sound really valid, but it often feels at odds with who we believe ourselves to be. So remember the clients I mentioned earlier. One was this chap who'd moved into a leadership role And the biggest struggle that he was experiencing, the reason he sought out coaching, was because he couldn't delegate anything. And we found that his protector was a huge martyr. He didn't want to inconvenience anyone. He didn't want to be disliked by the people that he was managing. So he would find himself working ridiculous hours and always feeling behind and feeling a lot of guilt that he was using his weekends and evenings to catch up on emails and he resented his colleagues who seemed to find this easy. His protector was telling him that he did not matter as much as everyone else. And he martyred himself to that. So I just want to add here that for a senior male executive, this behavior was seen by, as a strength, right, by the organization. That culture he was part of loved his martyr, he was always available. So it was a big realisation for him to see that if he wanted to make a change in this, he was inevitably going to have to face some of the risks that his martyr was trying to protect him from. So if he was going to stop doing all of this stuff for everybody else, he was going to risk disappointing others, potentially some conflict or judgement, even rejection. All right, so this is why... Transcending self-doubt is deeply courageous work and we're going to talk about this a bit more next week about how to begin the quite gentle process of transcending this voice or these patterns that you may find you have gotten yourself into. So my invitation to you is to download the one-page model of the four faces of the protector from the show notes and just spend this week noticing what kind of tactics does your protective self-doubt use? What's the face that your self-doubt tends to wear? Just be very interested in your own thoughts and feelings. Try to get quite specific about what your protector is worried about whenever self-doubt pops up. And when we look at part two next week, we'll explore a bit more about how to work with each of these four faces. I hope this is enlightening and helpful. I think it's super exciting to start to get a handle on this and to see that A, you're not alone, and B, you're certainly not cursed. And this has no bearing on your capability or your destiny. It's just the very effective ways that you found to keep yourself safe. Okay lovely people, I hope this was helpful. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy getting to know a bit more about the drama that your self-doubt creates for you and we will talk about this more in the next episode. if you're ready to explore more about your self-doubt, I want to invite you to take the self-doubt archetypes quiz. It's totally free and you'll uncover your particular flavour of self-doubt. It turns out self-doubt is not this amorphous cloud of woe. There are 12 different types of self-doubt and finding out yours is the first step to getting a handle on it. Just head over to www.saspederic.com backslash archetype for all the details.